Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, put your hands together for everyone that serves at Grace and Faith Church. You know, this wouldn't be the church it is if it weren't for you taking a position and a decision to serve. You are the church. We don't want to be spectators. We are the church of Jesus Christ. So it is awesome that so many people are serving every Sunday, making this happen. If you haven't served yet, then I encourage you to reach out and grab one of those serve cards in the chair in front of you and fill it out. You can fill it out on the card or on the form or go online with the QR code and sign up. But let me tell you, a good church is a church not where there's a great preacher. A good church is a church where people join together for community and they work the vision that God has given. I want to thank you. You know, this is Labor Day weekend, and Labor Day weekend was established primarily to recognize all the uh, millions of men and women across America who have labored. Labor Day weekend. It's a celebration about you. I want to tell you that in no arena are you more important than the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't happen without the sons of God. And you are the sons, the daughters of God. You are the ambassadors of heaven on earth. You are God's pride and joy. Believe it or not, it's the truth. You are God's pride and joy. And God has chosen to reveal himself through the church. You are very, very special. Turn to somebody and say, I'm very, very special. Now turn to that same person and say, you're very blessed to be sitting next to me. All right. Well, I hope you believe it because it's the truth. Okay. I started a new series last Sunday entitled For King and Kingdom. For King and Kingdom. And last week, my, my message was entitled, Two Firsts. It's very rare in life, every competition, every race, there's one first. And yet, very clearly and distinctly, Jesus outlined two things that need to be first in our lives. And last week, very quickly, I quoted Matthew chapter 22, verse uh, 37 to 40. Jesus was talking to a young man, and he said to him, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Everyone look at me for a moment. That it's the first commandment may not mean a lot. But Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. We measure sins according to our likes and dislikes. We measure sin according to social approval and disapproval. We measure sin according to church standards. But have you ever stopped to think that if God said that loving him first 
is the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin we could make is not letting God be number one in our life. Wow. It's not often we think of it in that, in that way, but it is very important that we do. The greatest sin we could commit is not, and I don't want to name particular sins, but it's not doing this or doing that. It's not letting God be number one in our lives. And I think we would be very wise to make sure on a regular basis, look into the mirror of God's word and let the word wash you. Listen, I'm sure you're happy about what I'm about to tell you. I shower every day. I don't want you to smell me before you hear me or see me. Uh, Pastor Rob's coming. I shower every day. In fact, sometimes I'll even shower twice a day. What's the point? The point is this. We need to wash ourselves with the Word of God on a regular basis. And uh, when we wash ourselves in God's Word, it helps us to realign our lives and our priorities so that we're lining up with God's kingdom and God's lifestyle. Amen. So Jesus said, gotta love God first. That's the greatest commandment. Breaking that is actually the greatest sin. Secondly, he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. We think that the way to get successful and be wealthy is to do what everyone else in the world does and to chase these things. The problem is that if we chase these things the way the world does, they end up owning us rather than us owning them. When we chase these things as opposed to pursuing the kingdom of God, we have already compromised and we've allowed ourselves to barter with the spirit of this world, and they will take ownership of us to lend us something of theirs. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and your Father knows how to bring the world to you. I would rather that God brings the world to me than me have to barter and compromise a part of my soul to get the things that I need. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So there are two firsts in the gospel that Jesus talks about. In fact, they are the only two things that I see Jesus saying, this is first, love God and love his kingdom. And hence, the theme of this series is for king and for kingdom. My message this morning is entitled, Living in This World for His World. Living in This World for His World. And I want to pick up where I left off last week on that verse, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And I want to clarify something. Because sometimes I think the devil gets in between our ears and he muffles 
the word of God. He muffles the sound of what God's trying to say. Sometimes when we read this scripture, seek first the kingdom of God, we think God's talking about make sure you get saved. Make sure you get born again. When he says seek first the kingdom of God, he's not talking about your salvation. How many of you are hearing me this morning? When he said this, he's actually talking to people who are already followers and already believers. In fact, if we read this in context, Wesley, he actually refers to his audience as sons or children of God. And I'm going to prove it to you. It's very important that when we read Scripture, one of the things we must understand, read it in context, okay? You read the verses before. You read the verses after to make sure that you are not taking that verse out of context and creating an incorrect premise. Very important. You know, when you read a book, you read it from the beginning of chapter 1. You don't read it from the beginning of chapter 6. And you don't just pick chapters here and there because you'll never get the whole story. When you read the Word of God, even if you're only reading one chapter, read the verses in context so that you understand what God is really trying to tell you. And so if we read this verse in context... We're going to read the two verses leading up to it, and I'm going to show you that Jesus is talking to people who are already considered children of God. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to verse 33, this is what Jesus says. So don't worry, saying or asking yourself, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Stop. This isn't Pastor Rob preaching. This is Jesus preaching. And I love to, and I did this last week. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes there's like, it gets muted. Jesus in the flesh is God in the flesh. So here's God talking to us. Your heavenly father. He is talking to you, and he says, the pagans run after these things. Now watch what he says. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. He's not preaching against a nice car. He's not preaching against a nice house. He's not preaching against, oh, well, you know, just, you just need a basic car to get to work. No, he's not saying you can't have a jet ski. Can you imagine me on a jet ski? Yeah, I can. I can. I do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I like going fast in my car. I like going fast on a jet ski. He's not saying you can't have these things. He's saying if you run after them and they are your priority, you will have to compromise with the spirit of this world. And they will take a part of you to give you a part of what they have. But if you seek the kingdom of God first and pursue his kingdom, God will go to the bargaining table and without any compromise and without you substituting any part of your heart, God will bring you the things of the world and lay them at your feet. 
How many of you would rather have the things of the world God's way than having to deal with demons and compromise? Come on, God's way. Demons will never barter fairly. It'll never be a just trade. You will always be in bondage and you will always come off second, third, fourth, and fifth best. So Jesus says, here's the context. Don't worry about where you're going to live, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, what kind of car you're going to have. Those who don't believe in God make a big deal about this and they chase these things, they pursue these things. These things become their priority. But I tell you, make the kingdom of God become your priority and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Now notice, he says the pagans run after these things, but God knows that your father knows that you need them. The people he's talking to, he's referring to God as their father, therefore they are sons of God, they are children of God, they are daughters of God. And it's to them that he says, seek first the kingdom of God. He's not talking about get saved. He's talking about the priority and the emphasis of your life. What is the central purpose of your life? Jesus here is speaking and he is reestablishing divine order. Before the world went crazy, before Adam messed up, there was a divine order. Church, it's very important that we recognize before the fall, there was divine order and there was peace and there was righteousness and there was joy. But when Adam broke God's divine order, the world has been in chaos ever since. Your life will never enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of God, even though you're born again, until you recognize the principles of the kingdom and learn how to live in alignment with those principles. Can I get an agreement here? So we're going to put on the screen... Jesus is reestablishing divine order. Love God first above everyone and everything. And pursue the best for his kingdom, and he will pursue the best for you. You see, the emphasis, we're going to put up another screen. The emphasis and the center of our lives is meant to be God. How bodacious of God he wants to be first let me tell you the reason why God says I have to be first and you need to love me above anyone anyone and anything is because that is the only foundation that will bring divine order and peace into our lives Amen. the moment someone else is a priority to you above your love and your passion for God, your life is built on a rocky foundation. How many of you know you could love someone with all your heart and it may not be reciprocated? Every one of us, if you've lived more than five years, you've experienced, you can love with all of your heart and it not always be reciprocated. 
And God says the way to build a life is to build your passions first on him. Because when God becomes the center of your life, God will order your life. Come on. When God is the center of your life, God will order your life. Yeah, give him a hand. Amen. And so Jesus is preaching about divine order. He says, love God first and then love his kingdom. You see, if you're passionate about God, you will be passionate about the things that are important to him. When a young man falls in love with a young woman and he's full of himself, he's passionate about his stuff and he's neglectful towards the things that are important to her. But when a young man is passionate about his young wife more than he is passionate about himself, he will always attend to her preferences. The Bible teaches us that a successful marriage is when a husband becomes passionate about his wife and the wife becomes passionate about the husband and rather than the husband looking after what he wants, the wife makes that her passion because he is her passion and the husband runs after the things she's passionate about because he's passionate about her. And God's saying, when you're passionate about me and you run after my things and you love my things, I will command the world. And everything you need and even the things you want, I'll bring them to you without compromise. The moment our life is not centered around God, we are already off kilter. We are already a leaning tower of Pisa in the making. I love pizza, but I don't want to be a leaning tower of Pisa. Yeah. Let's look at the next one. The next screen says, when we lay down our lives, our goals, and our ambitions at God's feet, God will lay the world down at our feet. Can you agree with that? Yes. Jesus said this. And remember, we say Jesus, God in the flesh. He's saying, God is saying, Miriam, seek my kingdom. I'm not telling you to be born again. You're already born again. You're my daughter. Seek my kingdom. Pursue my vision. Pursue my goal. If you're passionate about me, you will be passionate about what I'm passionate about. I want you to live for my kingdom, and I will take everything you need out of the kingdom of darkness, and I'll bring it to your feet, and you'll never have to compromise your life. Come on. I think that's a good deal. That's a great deal. Sometimes, I don't know that we really get this. It's almost like there's a, a religious glaze over our eyes. What are you saying, Pastor Rob? I'm saying that Jesus literally said, 
Your business doesn't come first. God's business comes first. And when God's business comes first, God will make sure that we never get entangled in the world and we will always have more than our business could have gotten for us. Is it wrong to have business? Is it wrong to have aspirations? Absolutely not. In fact, as sons of God, as men and women, daughters of God, I encourage you to see yourself as ambassadors of heaven. You are leaders in the marketplace. You are God's breath. You are God's presence. You are God's, you're God's face. Icons of him in the Greek, made in his image to be icons. We are the reflection of God. Be in business, nothing wrong with it. But let your business be centered around the kingdom of God and God will take your business, that thing you started to pay your mortgage, that thing you started to put your kids through college, God will take your business further than you can take your business. When you make your business about God's business and you want to advance the kingdom of God, God will bring you to the top of the line. Think about it. If you live to fulfill and to advance the kingdom of God, don't you think God's going to give you preferential treatment? Absolutely. And I want to tell you and I want to assure you, God never backs down on his promise. And so there are two firsts. Love God, number one. And when you love God as number one, he will start to align things in your life and you will love people better than if you tried to love them on your own. <laughs> Listen, I've been pastoring over 40 years. The only reason I could keep doing this is because I love God and God keeps bringing me back to center and enables me to love everyone else. You want to protect your life and your future and your family, the best way to do this is to not only love God passionately, but to love the things of God passionately and to love his kingdom. Here's a statement I made in the first service, and I'm going to make it again now. If you can't trust God with your most valuable things, I want you to stop before I go on and think of the things that are the most important to you. Think about it. What, what's the most important thing to you? Is it your children? Is it your retirement? Is it your health? Is it your life, your finances, your future? Think about it in your mind for a moment. What's the most precious and valuable things to you? Now listen to this statement. If you can't trust God with your most valuable things, you can't trust God. If you can't trust God with the most important things of your life, the problem is you can't trust God. Trusting God isn't trusting him with the little things. If you can't trust him with the most important thing of your life, the problem is you have an issue trusting God. Let me share a story with you. It's my story. 
In fact, it's not really my story. It's my parents' story. You see, <clears throat> my dad came to this country, and he didn't really speak English. And his parents were among that first wave of Italians that got saved, and they came out of the Catholic Church. Mind you, I'm not saying coming out of the Catholic Church is what saves you. But they went from dead religion to relationship. It was during the days of Mussolini, and uh, the secret police would throw anyone who wasn't Catholic into jail. And so the preachers would preach in their homes, and they would close up the windows, and sometimes the secret police would come and throw the preachers in jail. And it was in this first wave of renewal in Italy that my grandparents got saved. Well, my dad was a little bit rebellious, and he was running with the world, was packing a gun, and he was signed up with the Communist Party. Wild kid doing all the things that wild, unsaved kids do. But he had a God encounter. And he came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. His dad died when he was 11. Around the age of 16, 17, he came to Christ. And he decided he, he wanted to start preaching. And so he'd go on the train to nearby villages and he'd start preaching to people about Jesus Christ. At the age of 17, 17 and a half, he contracted spinal meningitis. Back in those days, it can be deadly today, back in those days especially so. And so the doctor had come over and he said to the family, I'm sorry, but there's no hope for your son. I'll be back in the morning to sign the death certificate, start making preparations. Well, fortunately, my father's family had all become believers and they believed in the miraculous power of God. And one of his aunts sat by his bed all night and just prayed through the night. I heard my dad tell this story so many times as he would share with new believers. He said that he felt his body, his, his spirit coming out of his body twice. And as he started to lift out and look down, he, he would see his aunt intensify in prayer. And she'd start calling on the name of Jesus. And each time he'd be sucked back into his body. In the morning when the doctor came, my father was not only alive, he had gotten out of bed and already had breakfast and was 100% recovered. The doctor was blown away. And with this, it just fueled my father's passion for God. He loved him. He met my mom, he moved to America, didn't speak much English, and an opportunity came for him to serve as a pastor not in the next town, but on the other side of the world. Now, many people have Australia on their bucket list. How many of you have Australia on your bucket list? Would like to, raise your hand, let me see. Would like to go visit Australia before you kick the bucket, right? So, quite a few of you. Back in 1968, America, while Great Britain discovered Australia. America still didn't know it existed. There was no internet. We knew nothing about Australia. So much so that when my father and mother decided they would leave all of our family. And when you say all of your family, we're talking about an Italian family. 
So it's a big family. It's a touchy-feely family. It's a family that is getting together and having loud meals together on a regular basis. And mom and dad decided that they would take their three young sons, I was only nine years old at the time, and take us to the other side of the world to a continent we knew nothing about. In fact, the only thing my parents knew was that there were Italian believers there who needed a pastor. There was a group of about 60 people. And so I remember uh, crawling up on my mom's legs and asking her and saying, Mom, do they speak English there? And this was the answer. I don't know. I said, Mom, are we going to go to school there? Do they have schools? She said, I don't know. The most pertinent question to me as a nine-year-old, I asked her, Mom, when we get off the plane, where are we going to live? Are we going to have a house? She said, I really don't know. I watched my mother and my father for several months as they traveled churches here in America, and they would tell how God called them to Australia. And my mother would share her story for maybe five, eight minutes always breaking down and crying and saying, I told God, what are you going to do with my kids? I'm a mom. I want to protect my kids. I want to make sure they get the best. If I go to Australia, will you do this? Will you do this? Can you guarantee this? And one day she heard God say to her, and if you keep your kids here in America, do you have a guarantee of any of those things? And so my mother decided it's better to trust God with her most valuable things than to trust her own ability with her most valuable things. And with that, mom and dad packed up three little boys, and we left our family. We left everything we knew. Australia was a complete unknown. Why do I share this story? Because this man... Alfonso and Mary Scarallo loved God so passionately, they loved his kingdom more than their immediate family. I remember when we were leaving. You know, I'm not just a, an emotional old man. I was an emotional little kid. And I would often cry thinking, I don't know if I'll see my grandma and grandpa again. We weren't going for a year you don't pack up a family in those days. We had big trunks. We didn't go with suitcases. There were big trunks, and mom packed up everything that she could. And we had half a dozen huge trunks, and they were put on the ships. And it, it took months for them to come to us in Australia. They literally moved a whole house because they loved God, and they loved the kingdom of God, the things of God, more than their own immediate family. And here's the testimony. Mom and dad being the first generation, four generations, I can stand here today. I'm on live stream, so my extended family would hear if I'm exaggerating or lying. But my two older brothers and myself are serving the Lord. 55 years later, the third generation, our children, all of my brothers 
their daughters, their sons, and all of the partners that they chose are genuinely, passionately in love with Jesus and serving the Lord. And four generations later, my grandchildren and all of their grandchildren are being raised up in Christian homes, and I mean very devout Christian homes, and those great-great-grandchildren to my parents have a love and a passion for Jesus Christ. You see, when you trust God with the things that are most precious and most valuable to you, and you pursue his kingdom, God will make sure that you still have a kingdom four generations later. God is a debtor. He doesn't owe. God is not a debtor to anyone. He doesn't owe anyone anything. You know why? He pays his bills up front in full. He comes through with his promises all the time. And so the kingdom of God, it is very important that we learn to develop Every one of us here, that we learn to make God the priority in our lives. And if God is the priority in our lives, then the things that are important to God become important to us, and they become a priority. Just like a young man who loves his young bride more than himself, everything that's important to her will become most important to him, and vice versa. And when we make the things of God most important to us, God will make sure that he will lay the world at our feet. And everything we need and everything we want, God will take care of us. Can I get an amen here this morning? Come on. Turn to somebody and say, I believe that. Come on. Say it. I believe it. God said it. Come on. Repeat after me. God said it. I believe it. I want you to repeat this. My future is better in God's hands than my hands. If you have business, if you have industry, if you're an employee, do everything you do to advance the kingdom of God. Let your business, let your interests serve the kingdom of God. And I promise you, either God is a liar or he is the God of truth and he is the God of, uh, of, uh, of fulfilled promises and he will come through and he will bless you, he will lift you up, he will keep you, you will be blessed to your generation, the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation. I see people so worried about their children and trying to give their children the best. And in doing so, they often are missing in action when it comes to church. I am a living testimony that when a man and a woman gives up everything they know and everything their kids knew, And step out in faith looking for a city that God has put their name on. Even if they have to travel across the continents, God will not only be there waiting for their presence, but God will be there waiting for their future generations as well. How do we impact this world with his world. 
How do we bring the kingdom of God to earth? How do we influence the earth? We are understanding and living under a concept not of the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation centers on us. The gospel of the kingdom of God starts with God loving us so that we can understand how much he's worth loving. In the gospel of the kingdom of God, we center on him, and when we get that right, God makes sure that our world is centered and ordered and perfected according to his purposes. You know, from 9 to 65 years old, I'm telling you, this is my testimony. I have seen the faithfulness of God to a man and a woman. My, my father had a fantastic job here. On the way to Australia for the first time, he stopped, we stopped in Italy. I got to see my, my father's mother for the very first time. I got to see my father's brothers and sisters and some of my cousins. And dad would often tell the story. They would say to him, you're crazy for going to Australia. Listen to me. Just like people are breaking down our border to come to this country. I don't know what you think about the United States of America. And maybe you have a chip on your shoulder. But let me assure you this. While we are not perfect. And while we sure have our own flaws. This is still the greatest nation you can live in in the world. I tell you, that is the truth. You know, people talk about Australia. I would rather live here any day. Australia is a great place. America, you have so much more freedom and protection and variety and opportunity. Is it a perfect nation? No, it's not. But if it was such a bad nation like everyone wants you to believe, why is everybody trying to come to the United States of America? Don't believe the lie because it is a lie. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want you to understand more than anything. God has to be first or this nation will go down the gurgler. And the only thing that can change this nation is the church of Jesus Christ. He didn't say your governmental officials will be the salt of the earth and they'll preserve your nation and they'll preserve your country. No, we hope that to be the case, but God never gave that promise. God never said that. God didn't say if you vote for the right man, the White House is what will keep your country intact. God never said it. He never prophesied it. He never promised it. But what he did say is that every man and every woman that is washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, they are the church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And when the church prays and when the church stands up and says in Jesus' name, we have more power and more authority than every demon in hell combined in the same place at the same time time they would all collectively have to bow down and surrender and submit to the name of Jesus in your mouth Amen. in your mouth Amen. 
God says, come on, live for king and kingdom. We get so worried about our little world. God says, I can take care of your little world. I need you to live for my kingdom. And so I'm calling everyone here today to shake yourselves out of a pseudo-Christianity that makes you feel all goosebumpy and comfortable and decide and realize that you are only ever living for God when you put him and his kingdom first. We've got to shake off this convenient, modern, American version of the gospel. When Jesus called people to follow him, he said, take up your cross and follow me. And if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. See, we don't, we don't quote those scriptures too often in the modern American church. You know why? It's not convenient and it's not comfortable, and it won't build us a mega church. That's what we think. And God says, if you put me first, I'll take care of everything you could ever want and everything that is important to you. I have several missionaries here, people who have been in ministry. Am I speaking the truth when I say, you guys have Put everything on the line. You live for God. Has God covered your back? Has has he done more for you than you ever could have imagined? My mother's cry constantly was, God, my boys. How can I go to this country? We've never been there. Will they have an education? Will they be healthy? Is there medicine there? Will, Will they speak English there? And God finally challenged her and said, Mary, Mary, can you guarantee those things? I guarantee you that if you put them in my hands, I'll take care of their future. Four generations later, every one of us are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys have been missionaries. You guys have been in ministry. Am I exaggerating? Am I lying? Have you put your children on the line? Did you at times give up everything to the point it seemed like insanity? Tell me honestly, is my question an exaggeration? Have you done that? Do you have any regrets? Are your kids serving the Lord? The best sermon my dad ever preached was when he got on the plane to answer the call to live for the king of kings and to advance the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's the best sermon he ever preached. All these years later, it's the one sermon that I'm constantly referencing when I preach. I'm often talking about that my parents, though this was such an emotional price. Listen, I used to wake up. I was nine years old. I didn't know if I'd see my grandma and grandpa again anymore. I didn't know how long we were gonna be in Australia. I would wake up in the middle of the night because I dreamt of them and I'd wake up sitting upright crying for my family in America. I can assure you, I can promise you, I have more than I ever would have had because my parents 
obeyed God and trusted God and pursued the kingdom of God. You can put your kids through university. You could put a hedge fund together for your kids, but you cannot guarantee that in 20 years' time, they'll be walking with Jesus Christ. But I tell you that when you take the most precious things to you and you put them in God's hands and you run after his kingdom and serve him for his kingdom's sake, God will make sure that your kingdom doesn't go under. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Without a question. Pastor Daniel and Gabriella, they've been pastors. I remember him when he was a much younger man. And they've served God all their lives, been through many ups and downs. But as you've served God, has God looked after you and your family all these years? She's asking for interpretation. <laughs> See, yes. <laughs> Amen. How do we impact this world? It's so important that we stop living for us first. Yeah, I said it. Stop living for us first and start living for the kingdom of God. Nobody knows how to look after you better than the king. And when you live for the king and you live to serve his purposes, God will make sure that you and yours are a priority in his world. Are you hearing me? Listen. This isn't always preached as pointedly as I'm preaching this today. We don't want to scare people. We don't want people to feel like this is too much of a cost. If you can't trust God with your most valuable things, you can't trust God. But if you can take your most valuable things and put it in his hands and run after his kingdom, you obviously have made God center in your life. And God will obviously center everything around your life. We keep trying to hold things together. The best way to hold things together is to let them go into God's hands and put yourself in God's hands and go after God. Amen. There's no way I could preach it all. We're about to go into a new season of connect groups. We're pushing an expansion and we're bringing a sharper, clearer emphasis to what we are doing and The New Testament church grew wildly and passionately because people made God part of every area of their life. And so when you study the New Testament, you will see over and over again that they met in the temple, they met in the church, it was called the temple, but then they also met house to house. And they devoted themselves to the apostles, the apostles of that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
And they broke bread, they had fellowship, and they prayed on a regular basis, not just in church, but house to house. I'm having to speed through the last half of my message. This is a pattern seen twice uh, written in the book of Acts, once in Acts chapter 17, verse 4 to 7, and then again in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 to 47, and then again in Acts chapter 5, verse 41 to 42. The church met together in the temple, and then they met together house to house. In fact, in uh, Acts chapter 17, Paul was preaching in Thessalonica. Whenever you read Thessalonians, that's the church in Thessalonica. And Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, the people of Thessalonica. This is what happened. In verse 4 to 7, it says, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a, quite a few prominent women. That means they were businesswomen. But other Jews were jealous, and they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. How I many of you know there's always a bad character somewhere in every story? They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, and they formed the mob and started a riot in the city. They raced to Jason's house. Everyone say Jason's house. In search of Paul and Silas. Why would unbelievers race to Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas unless it was rumored abroad that the church meets in Jason's house? It goes on and it says, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials. So they go to Jason's house because they know that's where the church meets. And they're looking for Paul and Silas, but they're not there, but other Christians are there. So they grab Jason and they grab the other believers that are meeting at Jason's house and they bring them before the city officials and they shout, these men have caused trouble all over the world and now they've come here. How many of you would like to have the reputation that for Jesus you caused positive trouble all over the world? Come on, that's the reputation the church needs to have. We want to be safe. We want to be secure. You don't win a Super Bowl by playing safe. you got to be on the offensive, not the defensive. And so here's Jason, and uh, what we know from this scripture is that the early church turned the world upside down. The unbelievers went looking for Paul at Jason's house. They found other believers, the church, at Jason's house. And then lastly, they said here, these men have caused trouble all over the world. They've now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. That was the pattern of the early church. And so... We are raising up more and more connect group leaders. And we're looking for people who will start to open their house because they get the revelation. I need to seek God and his kingdom first. And when I put the things of God as a priority in my life, 
God will put the things of Rob as a priority in his life. Hello? This is how it works. We either believe the word of God or we make believe we believe the word of God. And if we believe the word of God, we can make critical decisions based on what is written, not on what we think. The word of God often contradicts my opinion. But I have learned, angel, over and over again, angel, I have learned to take my opinion and put it aside because the word of God is infallible and the word of God will be supported by God himself every time. And every time I refuse to go the way of my logic and I stand on what the word of God says, the kingdom of God will come behind me, it will back me up, it will promote me, and it will advance me. And that's how much we need to be convicted about God's word. Church, it's not enough that we meet here. We are heading in towards the closing days before great judgment. I think everyone here can agree the world is crazy and it's getting crazier at a crazy rapid speed. Can we have an agreement? I don't care who's in the White House. The problem is, is that the church of Jesus Christ needs to be in the right house. Not White House, right house. We need to get our act together and we need to commit ourselves daily to praying, to meeting together, to worshiping together, breaking bread together, and having fellowship. As Americans, we're very independent, and we don't like to be told what to do. That goes contrary to the kingdom of God. You can't let God be first in your life if you're not willing to let the word of God tell you what to do. I need more amens than that. We are independent. We celebrate our independence every July 4th. Americans are very self-assured and very self-confident. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, 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 it opposes our dependency on God. And we need to put ourselves second and put God first and say, I'm going to build me and my family and my future on a passion for God and on a passion for his kingdom. We are at a place where it's not enough that Americans are going to church. We are at a place where we need the church to have a revival and understand who we are and what we are and what we can do and how much power and authority we really have. I want you to come here every Sunday, but every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I want you to be the kingdom of God out there. I want devils to shake because you're going to show up at work. I don't want you to be at the water cooler moaning, groaning, complaining about all the bosses above you like everybody else does. Because if you do, you are being swayed by the same spirit of the world that is influencing everyone else. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be known as sons of God. When you're at the water cooler and everyone is, you know, watch my words. Complaining and bad-mouthing the people in leadership, 
take out the fire hydrant of the Holy Ghost and put all of that gossip and all of that criticism under the water of the Word of God and be a reconciler, be a peacemaker. They will be known as sons of God. Do you know who's going to know them as sons of God? Demons. Because they will know that you will always put out the wildfire that they are starting. The world wants to keep uh, uh, ratcheting up animosity between the races. Be a peacemaker. Let's shake off our disappointments or our grievances and let's start to put the word of God into conversation and be a peacemaker. If we're going to build the kingdom of God, you can't be a divisive person at the same time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We have got to be different. You're not a Christian because you go to grace and faith. You're not a Christian because you're a Pentecostal, spirit-filled. You're not a Christian because you're a Baptist. You're not a Christian because uh, you, know, you were born and baptized as a child. We are Christians because of the grace of God, and because of the grace of God, let's act like God's grace and be peacemakers everywhere we go and be different than everyone else at work. If I'm at the water cooler complaining like everybody else, I didn't bring the kingdom of God to the water cooler. I brought the kingdom of disgruntledness to the water cooler. If I am going to be slack and lazy like everybody else and not be diligent in the workplace, I didn't bring the kingdom of God there. I brought the kingdom of darkness there. And it's time that the church starts to say, hey, I am the answer. With Christ in me, we are the answer. And we have to be different. And when we're different, we have a chance of impacting and influencing the world because we're living from a place where God is first, the kingdom is first, and it's changed our attitudes and it's changed our heart. Come on, if you agree, stand up and give the Lord a praise offering. Amen. Criticism, gossip, and complaining is never a part of the kingdom of God. We're moving into an accelerated phase. I believe great revival is coming. I believe it's even stirring now. This church has seen growth. Behind the scenes, I could tell you testimony after testimony of people having God encounters and things breaking off their lives, people getting healed and people getting delivered and marriages being saved and the results trickling down. We don't have to make a spectacle in church all the time. God is moving and God knows how to move more ways than you can count and more ways than I can count. How many of you think God's smart enough to be able to do that? Come on church. This is a good country, but devils are nipping at the heels of this nation. This is a good nation, but it needs to be God-centered again. And we need to get on fire again. 
And yes, your pastor is telling you that you must put the things of God's kingdom as a priority in your life because if God is a priority in your life, his stuff is important to you. That was quiet. Herman, am I preaching the truth? Is that why you keep coming back every week? It's time we stop playing church. Black, white, brown, there's no difference between us. Every one of us has got to get full of all the animo- get rid of all the animosity, all the resentment. Stop talking like the world talks. Stop thinking like the world thinks. It's demons inspiring what you hear on the news. It's demons that inspire all the hate and all the revenge. And I am owed this and I'm owed that. Listen to me. We are so fortunate. We are washed by the blood of Jesus. Now let's stand up and live for the king of kings. Let's live like the king of kings. And let's advance the kingdom of God. Everywhere we go, everything we do, you and I need to be an example of what Jesus would be like in that situation. When we start to live kingdom day to day, then we are a vehicle that allows the kingdom of God to come into any place we're at. As we move forward, we'll be calling on you because we're going to need more homes because we want to start putting the church in the houses. I'm training my leaders now. I don't want you to teach. I want you to take the sermon and ask everyone, what, what was preached to you? What did you get out of What did you get out of today's message? Are you asking me? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot. You're not putting me on the spot. Good. Um, honestly. Today, what gripped you? Today was everything that I needed more from the prophetic word mm-hmm. to hearing you preach to worship. I have to align everything that I do every time I open my What I'm doing is not working. Right. It's not working. And it's not working because it's not the way that God designed it to have to right. work. Thank you for your honesty. So, I was vigorously taking notes on everything you were saying, and I've already sent it to like five different people on my phone. She said, I was vigorously taking notes on everything you said, and I've already sent it to five different people. Okay. Yeah. People that I don't necessarily always get along with. (laughs) But, and that's another thing that kind of hit it on the nail for me when you said that God can help me love people better Better. than I can. Yeah, absolutely. When God is first, when God is first, then all of who God is starts flooding into our lives. You will love your children better. You will love your husband better. No matter how much you love him now, God, when you're full of God and full of a love for him, he will show you how you can love him even better. And when you put God first, you become so full of God that you have literally brought your husband into the presence of God. And so I'm training up my leaders to take the message and go around the room. What what did God say to you when you heard the message last Sunday? 
What, what did you hear God calling you to change? Why would we do that? Because the apostles' teaching is something that the church was devoted to. And it's not about somebody being a preacher in the cadet group. It's about the leader bringing people out of themselves and everyone sharing and expressing what God is doing in their lives. Let me ask you an honest question. This young lady's name is Cassandra. How many of you felt moved as you heard the sincerity of her heart and she was being very transparent? Now multiply that a hundred times as 10 people in each house group start sharing what God did for them in that Sunday message or Sunday service. You see, the early church met in the temple, but they met house to house. You guys have been saved just a short time. You blessed me this morning. I'm sure you don't even realize it. But I watched you as a young believer and a young mom and a young wife. And here you were with your little girl on your knees weeping in his presence. Maybe you were asking him for something. Maybe you were thanking him for something. I don't know and I'm not asking But even if you were weeping like that and kneeling like that because you needed something for your children, what it says is you have learned to turn to him and trust him. What a, I was so elated. I was so excited. My heart as a a dad, as a pastor, I was so thrilled. These guys are genuine. Look at the growth. That's exactly what went through my mind. Look at the growth in their lives. God has become so real to them. Church, we're going into a phase where we will increase the number of houses and groups and leaders because every one of us, look, here in America, we go to a concert where the spectators, they perform. We go to a football game where the spectators, they perform. We go to... uh, a theater, they perform, we spectate. We go to the movies, they perform, we spectate. We go to church, they perform, we spectate. That's not how the early church grew. I'm always telling you who you are in Christ. I'm always telling you that you are greater than you think you are. The enemy's under your feet, that you have authority. I'm always speaking to your spirit and encouraging your spirit to drown out your soul that's full of fear and inferiority. Why? It is my job to raise up every believer to become a powerhouse and a fortress for the kingdom of God. In this church, let's work together. Let's not work against each other. Gossip, criticism brings division and a lack of trust and confidence. And if people want to do that, shut them down. Say, I'm sorry, I'm not going there. That's not the spirit of revival. Shut them down. This is a good house, it's a good church, and there's excellent leadership here and excellent teaching. And we need to, if this is the house God's brought us to, let's pull together, work together, and let this thing grow, not for the sake of we're growing numbers, no, Let's grow in impact. The kingdom of God has to be expressed through people. 
Let's work together as a family of believers and expand the range of the impact of the kingdom of God. Can I get an agreement? Amen. I don't know how this happens. Somehow, probably. It always feels like I have less time in the second service than the first service. I looked up at that clock and I was only halfway through my message. I thought, it happens every week. Okay. I'm challenging you. If you love someone or if you love something more than God, you've broken the most important commandment. Okay? You won't hear that in a mega church. Because they'll be afraid you're going to leave. I have a responsibility. I'm a guardian over your soul. And I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit tells me too. If you love someone or you love something more than you love God, you've broken the greatest commandment. But God's not looking to get you. He's not this angry, crotchety old guy who's just looking to vent his anger. He understands us. He understands we're broken. He understands that we're miswired. And he doesn't get all offended. He'd rather put his arms out and embrace us and draw us to himself. If God hasn't been number one in your life, right now, this is the altar call. Make that resolution in your heart. God has to be number one. Because if he isn't number one, there is a demonic superpower who will make sure he creeps into that place. Okay? Number two, there's another first. Seek first God's kingdom. Make it a legally binding resolution that you're going to pursue the kingdom of God. You have a business. Okay? I'm not just talking to you. You have business. Some of you have business. Who has business here? Put your hand up. Okay. Your business is not for you first. It's for the kingdom of God. And God will take your business further than you can take your business. And when we use our business to serve the kingdom, the king will make sure that this vessel that is dedicated to him gets promoted and gets advancement and gets open doors and gets increase. Can you trust God with your life? If you can't trust him with your most precious things, you can't trust him. I love my mom and my dad. It's the greatest lesson they taught me was they took the thing that was most important to them and they put us in Jesus' hands. My mother wasn't a cold woman. Every night for six years, every night, we'd kiss her goodnight and every night she wrote two or three pages to my grandma and told her everything that happened during that day. Six years later, there were several stacks like this of aerograms. It's a piece of history. She wasn't a cold-hearted woman. She was a feeling woman, a caring woman, connected. 
leaving her family, even that, it speaks to me and says, who is this God that they love so much that though they never saw him, they could love him more than their own flesh and blood? It's a, a tremendous part of the passion that's in me. They introduced me to a God that's worth living for and a God that's worth dying for. And every Christian here must come to a place where you decide God is worth living for and he's worth dying for. The end is coming very quickly. Very quickly. The church needs to be the five virgins that has the extra oil and puts itself on fire. We need to put ourselves on fire. So I'm calling you to ask yourself, do you love someone or do you love something more than God? Because if you do, that's greater than all the great sins you and I could list. And number two, pursue his kingdom and he'll take care of your kingdom. I want you to take a moment to repent if you need to. To make a mental decision, God, I got to change this. Whatever this is, I got to change this. I need to come into alignment with your divine order. Every eye closed, how many of you feel like God's touching an area of your life or convicting you of something in your life? Would you raise your hand? I want to know if I'm hitting the mark here today. Keep your eyes closed. Good, good. Put your hand down. Come on, let's pray. Now's the time to make a commitment to God. Father, I thank you that you've given me your word. And while I love these people, I thank you that you've helped me not to be afraid of what they think. I love you too much to be trapped by the fear of man. And I thank you, God, that you've given me a love for people I don't even know very deeply that I would speak boldly and tell them the truth. I put myself in the same situation as everyone here. And as there are things in me that have to be altered and changed, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help every one of us to make the shifts in our heart that need to be made. Help us. Holy Spirit, break down bitterness, break down resentment, break down the spirit and the reasons of fear. Every argument that causes us to resist, I'm asking you, Holy Ghost, for our sake, break them down. Let it fall like a house of cards so that we will line up with God and love him and love his kingdom more than anything else. Holy Spirit, move in this house and move in every house that preaches Jesus Christ. It's not just about us. We want to see your church all over the world have a great revival. We need it. They need it. Bring it on, Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. One last thing. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, or if you've walked away from him, you must make that decision to let Jesus come in.
while eyes are still closed. If you want to ask Jesus in your heart, raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. Say, yeah, I want Jesus. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Who else? Raise your hand if you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Sir, I'm so proud of you. God bless you. I want everyone to pray this prayer with me. And those of you that raised your hand, you pray it especially. You know who you are. Pray it from your heart. Repeat after me, dear God. I hear you. I feel you. Holy Spirit, thank you for touching my heart. Jesus, I've messed up. I am not perfect. Please forgive me of all my mistakes. And from today forward, I'm asking you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life and rebuild my life. I want divine order in my life. Come, Holy Spirit. Order my life. Thank you, Jesus. For dying for me. I accept you as God and as my Lord and Savior. And today I choose. I will follow you and believe in you. Now help me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to see you straight after the service. If you raise your hand and prayed that. Church, I believe that as we center our lives around God, our personal lives will get better, but we will help bring a move of the Holy Spirit to this region. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. Come on, give him a round of applause. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I look forward to being with you, and uh, thank you for being a part of God's kingdom. Let's build